Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. This is a New Year teaching series to help us understand biblical richness. The truth is, all of us long to be rich. However, richness can be defined in many different ways. Why not allow the Word of God to shape your understanding of being rich? With sound teaching and understanding, your life can reflect these biblical truths and you can learn how to get rich in 2014. Get ready to receive the blessings that God wants to pour out on you in the year ahead. Here's our senior pastor, Dr. Benji Kelly, with today's message. Hey! How are we doing, church? Hey, if you believe God's going to do something great in 2014 in this church's life and in your life, I want you to give him praise and glory right now. If you believe it and receive it, I see some of you raising your hands. You want it so bad. And that's what I believe he's going to do in your life and my life. Amen. Hey, welcome to New Hope Church. Those of you here at Central Campus want to welcome the Coffee House Campus upstairs. They're killing it these days. The Garner Campus, the Sanford Campus, North Raleigh, Columbia, NCCIW, the Daughters of the King. I hope you ladies had an incredible Christmas. Despite where you are, I've been there on a Christmas. And I pray that you felt the presence of God in the North Carolina Correctional Institute. Want to give it up for those in Nairobi, Kenya? They, hey, we received the first offering from Nairobi, Kenya. I guess you're a campus when you do that. You know what I'm saying? So we want to welcome them. Want to give it up for the TV crowd, the internet crowd. And I want to give you a huge praise report. Listen, with our 28 Christmas celebrations, I came back from vacation to learn that we had 7,134 people up in the New Hope house. Wait, 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 wait. And somewhere around, it's hard to tell, somewhere around 300 people gave their lives to Christ. Now celebrate, church. Now celebrate. I want to just remind you that Vision Day is right around the corner. That is the last Sunday of January every year. That is our annual birthday. We blow it up for Vision Day. So I think it's January 26th this year. Uh, New Hope Church turns 12 years old. Mark your calendar. Don't miss it. It's going to be incredible. In fact, I hope you'll be here every Sunday in January and cap it all off with Vision Day. Last thing I want to say, I just want to give some thanks um, because most of you have, um, I, I think I've said it for a few services, not at all the services, but I've said it a few times in December that you people here at Central Campus anyway, I don't know what it's like at the other campuses, but you people here at Central Campus, you were getting cold in church. You were. You are bundled up. You'd let us know about it on the Connect card. And, <laughs> seriously, seriously. And so, I, you know, and I, I had to start asking around because I'm hot natured. And so I actually asked around and, and asked my trusted wife, who can also be almost confused with the Holy Spirit sometimes. Anyway, um, and, and I said, honey, is it cold? And, and the, you know, people started saying, yeah, it's cold. So we had them jack the temperature up a little bit. But when you jack the temperature up out there, what happens is you get hot up here. Heat rises, and you got all these lights. And so I just said, you know what? I'm just tired of, I'm tired of trying to act like it's not hot up there. So y'all remember, I brought a few paper towels up here. And I said, that's my sweat rag. And see, now, we got a very diverse church here, and I love that. And, 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 and in the white church, you know, white people live, I think that deodorant commercial some time ago, don't ever let them see you sweat. That's how white people live. And, and, and if you can't tell, I'm white. Um, 
But in the African-American church, say so, she said. In the African-American church, when, when those pastors, and I'm friends with a lot of them, man, when they sweat, the African-American church loves it. It's like, that's when you know he's preaching. Is when he sweats. So, so we got we got a, we got a strange phenomenon going on here. We got the white people not wanting me to sweat. We got the black people wanting me to sweat. And I don't know what the, the Asians or the Latinos or I don't know what y'all talk to me afterwards. What do you like? So anyway, um, <laughs> so I brought a few paper towels up and and on the platform and I said, <laughs> these are my sweat rags. Well, my brothers and sisters, and this is where the white church can learn from the black church. I'm just saying, the black church knows how to take care of the pastor. You think I'm lying. Am I right? I mean, they take care of the first family. White church is like, Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. But <laughs> in the black church, they take care of the first family. I'm not lying. And so I had, I had my brothers and sisters come up to me and like, Pastor, you can't be having a paper towel up on the stage. You got to get, and this is what a few of them call it, you got to get some dignified sweat cloths. So a sister in our church, I came back from vacation to get my Christmas gift. And, and, and she, she gave me, this is just a few of them, I got a lot more where that came from. She gave me dignified, zoom in camera, get you some of that right there, dignified sweat cloths with my initials. So I'm just going to sweat on up here. And when I pull it out, if I was T.D. Jakes and had a bald head, I'd just... That's what T.D. does. I love me, T.D. She even got me one. I don't know what to make of this. She got me one in Carolina blue. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't. He didn't. Man, it's good to be back. I've been on vacation for about 10 days, and for the last five or six days, I've been sitting in the house. Forget all that cold weather. I've been sitting in the house watching football and basketball. I, no human being has ever watched more football than I've watched in the last four or five days. And so it is just good to get out and be with the people of God. Amen? So I'm glad you're here, man. We got a great series. We're going to start a series called How to Get Rich. How to Get Rich. And... Um, I didn't come up with the title. I want to give credit where credit is due. Andy Stanley of North Point Community Church came up with the title, How to Get Rich. I think he did a sermon series. I have not listened to that sermon series of his. I listened to a lot of his sermon series, but not that one. Uh, but I got the title from him. I'm so thankful for people like Dave Ramsey, who has taught me on finances. Steve Shugart, my original pastor when I first became a Christian. Um, Ron Blue, if you know that name from Atlanta, an incredible man of God who specializes in biblical finances. Um, Andy Stanley, others. I mean, I'm just so, so grateful. And it gives me a chance on the first Sunday of the year to just hey, say publicly before every single person that you need to know that every Sunday I come up in here and I am standing on the shoulders of great, great men and women of God. I don't know that I've ever had an original thought. And the great thing about being in ministry is you don't have to because here we don't need original thoughts. Here are the thoughts we need. Come on now. And so I just want to give credit where credit is due and just thank God for the men and the women in my life who've spoken into my life and who I stand on their shoulders every single Sunday and to God Almighty for his word. Amen? So I was on vacation and um, 
I, I went out in Arkansas a little bit, and I was uh, in Arkansas. You might wonder, what are you doing out in Arkansas? Um, I'm in a swamp in Arkansas where no human being could ever reach me, literally wading in, in a swamp with some friends from back home and doing some hunting and that sort of thing. And so I had plenty of time to think. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking about this series. And I, I got to start thinking about our stuff. Like, like stuff, you know what I mean? Your stuff and my stuff. And so with your permission, I just want to talk to you about your stuff. I mean, have you ever really got to thinking about your stuff? And I'm using that word intentionally, all your stuff. Yeah, money's included in that, but I'm talking about all your other stuff, our stuff. It's a strange phenomenon when you think about it. We, we all have lots of stuff and we, we, we save our stuff. We move and we wrap our stuff we insure our stuff. We, we then get to a place and we unwrap it, right? And we polish our stuff. And we clean our stuff. And we manage our stuff. And then we die. And somebody else gets to go through our stuff. Come on now. Come on. Have you, have you just stop thinking about this. And then, and then the process starts all over. They care for the stuff. They manage the stuff, they polish the stuff, they clean the stuff, they wrap the stuff, they eventually move, they insure the stuff, they pack it, unpack it, and then they die. And it all starts all over again. And if you're honest with yourself, most of the, the, the things that are most precious to you that you have are antiques or heirlooms that have been passed down from other people. Like if you were to come into my house, some of the most precious furniture pieces that we have in my home come from two sources. They come from my grandma and granddad who passed away about five years ago. And they were great, great Christian men and women. They, the, 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 the stuff came from them. And there are several pieces in my home who came from a new hoper who was a dear friend of mine who died of lung cancer. And I was fortunate enough to get some of her pieces. They're, they're heirlooms. They're, they're antiques. And, and I had this thought while I'm out in Arkansas, in the middle of nowhere. I'll keep that stuff all my life, and we'll care for it, and, and then, but then we'll die. And somebody else will get our stuff, and the entire process starts over. Now, here's what's interesting to me, though. Come on, just think about this for a moment. Since we know that our stuff is going to outlast us. Why are we so hesitant, therefore, to share our stuff? I mean, it's really strange. I know that my stuff is going to outlast me, but, but the truth is there is this carnal, innate nature in human beings that calls them, even though they know their stuff will outlast them, even though they know that it's going to be passed on to somebody else, there is this carnal, sinful, innate desire inside of all of us to be hesitant to share our stuff. And I'm just talking about stuff. Now, let me go throwing money around. Money, we're even more hesitant to share our stuff with. Money, we know. Listen, I've done a lot of funerals. I've never seen any cash in the casket. We, we know that it's going to be passed on to somebody else. And yet, come on, let's be honest. We are incredibly hesitant 
to share it. We are incredibly hesitant to do what Jesus Christ said when he said it is more blessed to give than to what? That's what he said in the book of Acts 20. He said this, it is more blessed to give than what? So here's the question, laced with some tension. Why is it that Jesus spoke more about money than heaven or hell? You might not have known that, by the way. That's a little tidbit for you. Jesus spoke more about money than heaven or hell. Why did Jesus speak so much about money? And why did Jesus speak so much about learning to give it generously away? And yet we have this desire, this proclivity to keep it Hoard it, clean it, wrap it, insure it, save it, when in the end we're not going to be able to keep it anyway. Why? Why is that? Now that's that's kind of where we're going over the next three weeks. I'm going to be unpacking the deep whys of this tendency inside of us. I'm going to be unpacking the biblical teaching on how to get rich, and there is a way to get rich. And does anybody up in here want to get rich? You don't even know whether you should say yes to that question. You really, and I knew that would be the answer. You don't know anymore because there's so many different theologies. There is the prosperity theology, which by the way, I'll talk about next week. There's the prosperity theology that equates richness with godliness. There is a poverty gospel that's very, very popular today, which equates poverty with godly. And I'm coming at you in this series, and I'm actually going to throw you a third alternative, a biblical alternative, which is not prosperity gospel or theology or poverty theology. It is stewardship theology. And when this day is done, you're going to understand exactly what I mean by that. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29. 1 Chronicles 29. Now, as you're turning there, how many of you have heard of C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters? Man, I am a big C.S. Lewis fan. I've not only read his letters, I took some staff members to the Broadway's rendition of screw tape letters at the Deepak in Durham. In screw tape, we are privy to some of the best writing about the subject matter that I'm going to talk to you about today. And for those of you who've read Screwtape Letters, great. If you haven't, let me encourage you to read it. In Screwtape Letters, it's a, letters, a series of letters between a senior demon and a junior demon. It's fictional. And in this series of letters, this senior demon named Uncle Screwtape is writing to this junior demon about how to destroy a Christian. And there is a part in one of these letters that I believe speaks so powerfully, again, from a fictional perspective, about this tendency inside of us to want to hoard our stuff, keep our stuff, and I believe actually leads to poverty as opposed to giving our stuff and becoming generous people, which leads to richness. This is an incredible Quote, so listen in. Again, it's fictional. C.S. Lewis the Great, right, in his screw tape letters. He says this. The sense of ownership in general, and by the way, I'm getting hot up here right about now. So I'm about to grab my sweat rag. In fact, while I'm not sweating too bad, I might as well try it. I'm going to start with the Carolina one. Everybody say, help him, Lord. 
Listen, it's a long quote, it's a long quote, but don't miss it. The sense of ownership in general is always to be encouraged among humans. The humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and hell. And we must keep them doing so. Now, these are demons speaking, right? So humans are always putting up claims to ownership, which sound equally funny in heaven and hell, and we must keep them doing so. And all the time, the joke is that the word mine, M-I-N-E, the word mine, in its fully possessive sense, cannot be uttered among human beings about anything. In the long run, our father, and they're talking about the devil, okay? In the long run, our father, the devil or the enemy, will say mine of each and everything that exists. They will find out in the end, never fear, to whom their time, their souls, their bodies, their minds, and everything else truly belongs, but certainly not to them. At present, the enemy, now he's talking about God. At present, the enemy says mine of everything based on the fact that he made it. Our father, again, the devil, our father, the devil, hopes to say mine to everything in the end on the more realistic dynamic of conquest. Unbelievable quote that speaks to our tendency to say mine, 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 mine. And as long as the enemy can keep us saying mine, 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 actually buying the myth of ownership, as long as Satan can keep Christians buying the myth of ownership, he has us where he wants us and he keeps our eyes off of God. Now, in 1 Chronicles 29, we get a powerful glimpse of a snapshot in history where the people of God started to understand this deep concept of stewardship, and they started to resist the myth of ownership and the lie that Satan wants to cause us to continue to keep and hoard and con conclude that our stuff is mine and we see an unbelievable passage in 1 Chronicles 29. Now, here, here, let me just give a little context, and then we're going to stay in 1 Chronicles 29 the entire morning. In 1 Chronicles 29, a little context here. David, King David, has matured, and he's, he's old in life. The sun is starting to set on the great King David's life. He starts to realize, and King David was very, very wealthy. I mean, King David lived the most ostentatious lifestyle you could ever imagine. And so he gets to the end of his life, and he has this epiphany, if you will. I'm living in all of this luxury. I mean, I'm living in the lap of luxury. I've got marble. I've got gold. I've got silver, right? I've got walnut paneling. I've got all this stuff, and I'm living in this palatial uh, home, if you will, while God is outside in a box. You might say, what do you mean? Well, you remember, just put on your Old Testament history here for a moment. God, or they believed, dwelt in the tabernacle. 
And in the tabernacle was the Ark of the Covenant. And what was held in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments. And the tabernacle carried around. So, so David is enjoying this ostentatious lifestyle and living in the lap of luxury. And he realized, I'm in here <laughs> and God's outside in a box <laughs> under a tent. And he decides, whoa, I want to build God a temple. And he sets out to build God a temple, but he is quickly uh, is let known that you can't build the temple. There's too much blood on your hands. There's things that's going to keep you from building the temple. But your son Solomon will build the temple. Now, you would think David would get all upset and like, why can't I do it? David does something incredible. David decides to actually lead the capital campaign. He actually says, all right, if I can't build it, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lead the capital campaign, and I'm actually going to lead the way in giving toward the capital campaign so Solomon can build the temple of the Lord. 1 Chronicles 29. Let's go get this, church. Take out your teaching notes it's on the back of that card, and let's go get this. Verses 1 through 2. You ready for the word of the Lord? Say Amen. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my, help me out church, what? With all my, you might just scratch that out in your Bible and put stuff. With all my stuff, with all my resources I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble. All of these in what? So David reaches this point of incredible maturity where he actually starts to understand, listen, the sun is setting on my life and I'm not going to be able to take this stuff with me. And so the best thing I can do is be generous with it and provide for the house of the Lord. Now go to verse 3. Besides, in my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my... Good job. I now give my what? So David not only says, am I going to lead the capital campaign to build the temple of the Lord, of which I'm not ever even going to see. I'm actually going to give my personal treasures, my personal resources toward this great and glorious temple. Personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this holy temple. Okay? Powerful, powerful text. Catch the generosity. There's a software program, by the way. And this kind of stuff is created by people far smarter than me, right? There's a software program that if you put all of the materials and the resources that David supposedly gave to this temple, there are smart people who throw it into a software program and it spits it out. And the best guess is that David gave equivalent today to over 17 billion, with a B, dollars 
to the temple of the Lord. It's kind of resources King David had. Now, now keep going. Verse 5b through 6. Watch this. Now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? Now, that's a great question. Right? That's a great question that I would kind of throw out to all of our campuses. The, the word would say, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today and move in this direction of richness? Who is willing to consecrate themselves? Verse 6, then the leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, and the officials in charge of the king's work did what, church? Come on, come on. Did what? Gave willingly. There's this remarkable scene in 1 Chronicles 29 where a feeding frenzy of generosity starts to well up in a kind of ground swell movement that I just got to be honest with you, that pastors dream of experiencing amongst their people. Like, like, like they, they're not sitting around going, well, pastor, does that mean I need to tithe on my net or my gross? <laughs> they're not sitting around thinking this, which is what we have a tendency to do. Come on, let's just be honest today. They're not sitting around thinking, what is the least amount I can give and still make God happy? Come on, you know we do it. What is the least amount I can get? They're not doing it. A feeding frenzy of generosity starts to take off, led by King David. And I'm telling you, it is enough to take your breath away. Let's just continue. Verse 7. Verse 7. Where are we here? They gave. They gave toward the work of the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 Derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of, I don't even know how to say that, Jehel, Jehel the Gershonite, right? The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. Come on. For they had given, what's that word? And what? They had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced. What? Great. I'm telling you, it's a crazy passage. You might not have ever even read this passage of Scripture. It's not one of the most popular passages in the Old Testament. But you see this feeding frenzy of generosity where they gave willingly and wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord, not asking what is the least amount we can do, but instead saying this, I'm going to give to God first, not last. Can I teach you something real quick? I want to teach you what's called, what I've called it, and literally this, this came to me at the end of 2013. It, it about took my breath away when I finally realized it and got some words to it, and I've just been saving it for this moment right here. It's called the principle of the first. Can I just teach you about the principle of the first? Here's the deal with the principle of the first. The principle of the first is based, basically this. In whatever area of your life that you give God first priority, he's going to bless I'm not talking about money here. 
I'm not talking about stuff, though that's included in here. I'm talking about any area of your life that you give God first priority, God will inevitably bless that area of your life. If you kind of believe it, let me hear an amen. amen. Man, I've missed you. It's so good to be back. The principle of the first, here's some wording that I put to it. The principle of the first is the tried and true principle. Tried and true, I'm telling you. That maintains that God will inevitably bless that area of your life in which you put him first. Do you hear that? I mean, I, I, oh, I love you and I really want you to get this. So what I mean is this. You place God first in your marriage. And I'm telling you, God will bless your marriage all the days of your life. If two people will put God first in their marriage, I don't mean lip service. If they will put God first, God will bless their marriage. Student, if you put God first in your educational endeavors and your majors, I'm telling you, God will bless your education. If you put God first in your business practices and you don't cut corners and you don't lack integrity and you lead with honesty and uprightness, God will bless your business. You place God first in your finances. And I'm telling you, God will bless your finances. It's why Jesus said in Mark 6, 33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Seek ye what? I'm talking about the principle of the first. Now, come on, come on. I just want to be honest today. If... If we're honest, most of us will admit that at some point in time in our lives, maybe it's right now, maybe it's not. I mean, I, this church is made up of some incredibly generous people. And I just praise God for you. But all of us in our lives, at some point in time, and maybe you're here today, we've operated not from the principle of the first, but the principle of the least. We operate from this principle. What is the least amount of God I can infuse into my dating and my sexuality? Right? And still be blessed. What is the least amount of God we can put into our marriage and still have God blessed? What is the least amount of God I can put into my study and, you know, cheat every now and then? Right? And still hope God blesses it. What is the least amount of God I can put into my business practices? What is the least amount of God I can put into my money and still be happy and still make God happy? What is the least amount of sharing I can do with my resources? And people who operate, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. People who operate from the principle of the least never, ever, ever move toward biblical godly richness. They move toward biblical poverty. And yet there is this strange phenomenon that's counterintuitive. When men and women move toward the principle of the first, in every area, but also specifically in the arena of their finances, God starts to bless their lives, and they move toward richness. Back to the text. Back to the text. Back to the text. Go to verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel. From everlasting to what, church? Verse 11. 
Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is... Don't miss that. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as what? As head over all. The Bible says everything belongs to God. You want to know how to be rich, church? You don't know how to be rich. That's what you came for today. And you should want to be rich. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be rich. You know, I resist those out there who say they, uh, that there's something wrong with that. No, 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 no. God's blessings flow throughout his word, and God loves to bless his children. Can I get an amen? amen. You don't know how to be rich? Transition from seeing yourself as an owner to understanding that you are a steward. And a steward is someone who manages the affairs of someone else. Some of you have done money managers before. Money managers. The best question a money manager, you know a money manager is good when he or she asks you this question in the very beginning. What are your goals? What are your goals? A steward is someone who manages the affairs of someone else. We are not owners. God owns everything. We are stewards. We can't take it with us. We're going to pass it on. And so we start to move toward richness. The door of richness starts to crack open when a woman or a man understands you're not an owner of anything. You're not. You say, well, pastor, my house is in my name. I don't give a flip. So is mine. It ain't mine. It's God's. Right? Right? Indulge me for a moment, please. Would you? Would you? Repeat after me. Repeat after me. Everything belongs to God. Now, 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 indulge me one more time. Lift your hands up. Would you please? Open hand. Oh, I love it. Way to go. Way to go. Way to go. Open hand. Open hand. Everything belongs to God. Now say it with me. Not after me. Say it with me. All of our campuses. Ready? Everything belongs to God. Keep, keep them up. Don't, some of you are you're, you're, you're getting scared you're going to turn Pentecostal. You won't. I saw some people. Hold them up. I got, hold them. Hold them. Hold them. Hold them up. Hold them up. One more time with me, real loud, real loud. All of our camps is ready. Everything belongs to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 12, did you catch verse 12? Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Say that with me. Go. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Now, just hold that up there for a moment. What comes from God? Yeah, and from this verse, wealth and honor. And everything comes from you. Now, I'm about to talk about something that's controversial. Most people don't like to talk about this, okay? But I will talk about things that no one else wants to talk about. God does not bless every person equally. See, we don't like to talk about that. But everything comes from God. And since everything comes from God, God blesses people differently. Not equally. Let me explain. Let me make my point. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. (laughs) 
I didn't expect that to be funny. I had something else coming. Look at me. I'm glad you enjoyed that so much. Look at me. Here's my point. I will never dunk a basketball. I've tried. I mean, it's all I can do to get an eight foot, right? And I don't think I haven't done that in a while. I probably won't even be able to do that, to be honest with you. I'll never dunk a basketball. Even though I won the spelling bee in the eighth, in the fifth grade at Millwood Elementary School, I will never forget it. From there, it was downhill, beloved. But I won it. I won it. I was so proud. I'm not the smartest dude on the planet. I'll never be considered a genius, right? I'm smarter than some people. I'm not as smart as many people. Same with you. We can't even take credit for our looks. Like, I ain't, I ain't as good looking as some people. But I'm better looking than maybe some people. <laughs> maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Why are y'all enjoying all this so much? You're, you're better looking than some people. But I'm looking at some of you. Yeah, you're fine. You're handsome. You're hot. There's somebody hotter than you. Right, 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 right. Come on. See, see, my point is God does not bless equally. God disperses his favor and his blessing and his wealth and his honor at will. It's God's. And God can do with it what he wants. Let me break down 1 Chronicles 29 from a stewardship perspective and give it to you in three pithy statements. And here it is. You don't want to miss this if you're a note taker. Write this in the margins of your Bible or in your teaching notes. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is dispersed by God. Say it with me. Everything belongs to God. Everything comes from God. Everything is dispersed by God. I know some of you were writing, so it was a little bit hard. Now, really loud, all of us, one more time. Everything belongs to God. Everything, everything is. And since we're not owners, and since we can't take credit for any of the ways in which God disperses his blessings and his favor, our only responsibility is to be a faithful steward of that which he has given us. And when you become a faithful steward and you start managing the stuff that he has given you, your looks, your income streams, your education, your wealth, your talent, whatever, any area. When, whenever you start to transition from thinking you own that stuff to you are a steward of that stuff and you start managing that stuff according to the desires of the owner who is God, then you start to step into being rich in the eyes of God. Verse 29, verse 12b, 13. Let's read it out loud together. Verse 12b, uh, ready? Go. In your hands are and power to exalt and give. Great job. Let's continue. Now our God, we give you and praise your. That's what stewards do. Stewards take all that God has given them that he's dispersed at will. And they say, you know what? That's what David did. 
I'm just going to take all that and I'm going to exalt you with it. I'm going to take all that and I'm going to praise your glorious name. Do you, do you know what the word exalt means? The word exalt, I, we need to do it next week at all of our campuses. I just mark that. We want to do the song, I Exalt Thee, next week. It was too late when I realized it to tell you guys this week. But we sing that great song, that old hymn, I Exalt Thee. Remember that? One of my favorites. Exalt means to make great. David is saying, I'm going to exalt you. I'm going to make great your name with that which you have given me. Stewardship. You're not an owner. I'm not an owner. I don't own squat. Neither do you. I found this definition this week. I don't even know who it came from. Source unknown. Stewardship is protecting and growing the resources of the owner with fierce intensity. I love that. I love that. Stewardship is protecting, protecting, not being stupid, not being irresponsible with your business, with your money. No, 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 no. Stewardship is, is, is thinking about how to make God great, thinking about what you need to live, what you need to retire. All that stuff is wise, right? It's protecting and growing the resources of the owner with fierce intensity. You want to know how to get rich? Here it is. Realize and live like you are a steward and not an owner. Realize you are a steward and not an owner. Have you ever just made that move? It's a powerful move when you realize you don't own a thing. What would it look like for you to ask this question? What would it look like for me to ask this question in 2014? What would you, God, like to see happen to that which you have dispersed to me? My, 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 my. I, I hope you'll write that question down. I don't think it's on your teaching notes. What would you, God, like to see happen with that which you have dispersed to me. You know, it's a trip. This temple that David led the capital campaign on and led in giving generously toward this temple that Solomon built, but David led the way in giving toward this temple some 550 years later or thereabouts. A God-man by the name of Jesus entered onto the stage of planet Earth and walked into the temple. This Jesus whom you claim and I claim and believe as Savior and Lord walks into the temple, runs out the money changers who are handling their money inappropriately in the house of the Lord, and basically throughout the entire New Testament makes this one point crystal clear. Israel has been replaced by the people of God, the Christian church. The temple has been replaced by the church. Jesus, the body of Christ. And when a man and woman starts to say, you know what, I want to use that which you have given me, God, to exalt Jesus, to make him great, 
to bless his church. I'm no longer going to be skimpy with God. I'm no longer going to operate from a scarcity mindset, from a poverty theology. I'm no longer going to operate from the perspective of what is the least I can give to God and he still be happy. But I'm going to operate from the principle of the first and I'm going to give God everything because he owns it all anyway. And I'm going to live to make his name great with my stuff. The moment a man and a woman makes that transition, they are on the edge. Of richness in the truest, truest sense of the word. Before Christmas, right before Christmas, the staff team, we were all gathered around, right? We got like 57 staff here now. We're up in the student ministry center and we're, we're, just, we're just hanging out. Everybody's sitting on chairs. There's nothing formal about it. I'm not teaching a leadership lifter. I'm not preaching. I, we're just kind of sitting on chairs, man. We're just chilling and we're getting ready for the 28 service run that we're about to have. We're, we're celebrating victories. We're celebrating losses. We're, we're encouraging one another with prayer requests. We're just, we're just hanging out is all we were doing. And um, we started sharing stories. And uh, Pastor Mitch Cartrett from our North Raleigh campus shared that a woman had approached him and with great, great sadness given him $3 toward the Christmas offering. And she was very upset and sad that she could not give more to our Christmas offering. And by the way, we'll be sharing that next week. You guys were incredibly generous. Um, so so he, this woman gives him $3 and she's sad and she's like, I wish I could give more, but I just can't. It's all I have. Talking about the widow's might. I mean, what a great, great. And, he, and he's sharing this story with the staff team and some tears kind of start to well up. And I feel the Holy Spirit just prompt me and I say, well, here's what I want you to do. I want us to give her $300. And I could tell from everybody in the room that all the staff loved the idea, right? So she gave three. That was all she could give. I said, that's incredible. That's the widow's mite story. I love that story. We're going to bless her socks off for Christmas, and we're going to give her $300. Amen. Oh, it's incredible, incredible. Wait, 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 wait. Immediately, <laughs> Pastor Derek from the Garner campus reached in his pocket and said, you guys are not going to believe this. A woman came up to me yesterday and gave me a $300 check and said, why don't you give that to someone in the church who has a need? We were standing on holy ground. It was sacred. We really, a hush kind of came over the room, right? Smiles broke out. Tears started falling even more. That story. So, 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 so. Should help you understand and get excited about the next three weeks. Because when a man and a woman realizes God disperses as he will. My only job is to be faithful with that which he has given me. When a man or a woman or a child or a student does that, the door of favor, blessings, prosperity, richness starts to crack open. And God then starts to pour into that person's life stuff.
Because God knows that it is through that person that his name will be exalted great. And his fame and his glory will grow on the planet and the people that he created that he so, so loves will come to know him. So he pours blessings, favor, resources on those who know how to handle it. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let the people of God say amen. Will you pray with me? Father, I want to just praise you for a great, great passage of Scripture. I want to thank you, God, for King David. And you know, God, I want to pray unashamedly that a feeding frenzy in 2014 would start to swell in the life of this church. That at all of our campuses, God, and even those on the Internet and watching this in front of a television, would transition away from the myth, the myth of epic proportions, that we own anything. And God, that we would be a church that is made up of men and women and children and students who understand that you've simply allowed us to steward over everything that we have. And that just like King David and the leaders and the people of God in 1 Chronicles 29, Father, we would, we would give generously to your work. We would give generously to the things of God that we would take pleasure and delight in caring for your house. We wouldn't ask, what is the least we can do? But like King David, God, we would, we would give to the best of our abilities with generous hands and generous hearts. And Father, I pray that as a result of your people's faithfulness, I unashamedly pray as a result of my family's faithfulness, God, that you would pour into our lives blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon favor, upon protection, upon guidance, upon richness. That your stuff would flow through us to those you so love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who gave it all. Amen and amen and amen. If you receive it and celebrate it at all of our campuses, praise the giver of all good gifts. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope, visit us at www.newhopenc.org. If you have any prayer requests or praises, please email us at prayers at newhopenc.org. Our pastors and staff would love to pray for you.